Happy Sunday, friends. Welcome back if you've been here before, and welcome, welcome to our new listeners. My guest today is Tina S. Maker. She's a dear friend, a writer, and she coaches creative professionals through career roadblocks. Tina is quite honestly a breath of fresh air. I met her a handful of years ago as a very close family friend's new girlfriend. What was meant to be a does she pass a test scenario turned to be a bonding and long-lasting conversation, one which I feel continues to this day. Before this faithful encounter, and years before she came into the family, Tina was in a long-term relationship which ended abruptly and without warning. This tailspin set her on a new self-discovery path, a long journey in which she found herself and discovered a passion and talent which would have otherwise remained hidden. Listen in as we discuss how journaling is a wonderful tool for shutting out the noise and in getting stuff out of your head, and how this simple practice supports you in accepting and best handling your reality. Tina believes we're all here on this planet to add value to the world, and that we need people on our team to guide, encourage, and support our endeavors. This conversation resonated with me, and today I encourage you to get inspired by this touching story and to stay open when times are shifting. We tend to subscribe to a lifestyle or a routine or a schedule, and when life throws us a curveball, we tend to drop it all. So what are the things you value? What is important to you in your life? Are you part of the equation? What are your non-negotiable moments of care? Is your personal time blocked off in your calendar? Ask yourself these questions. List your needs out on a piece of paper. Pick the most important ones and add them to your calendar with a flexible structure. This applies to everything from penciling in your workouts, your meditation practice, and even dedicating time to sitting down and eating your lunch every day. You'd be surprised how many of us skip this important ritual. A simple technique I use and recommend in my practice is to treat my calendar as my best friend. I take half an hour on Sundays like today, if you're listening on a Sunday, and I look at it and assess what's coming up for the week. I call in feelings of gratitude when I'm busy, as much as I feel grateful when times are lighter. Trust me, this is an exercise and an ongoing practice. I make sure my movement, meditation, and at least one coffee with a friend are marked in there. And if I can treat myself to something special, like a massage on a Friday every few weeks, that goes in there as well. I observe how work and family time will complement each other, and I make sure they do not overlap. I mean, I do my best. But when they do, because life is life, I keep an open mind and adjust accordingly, looking to maintain the awareness to be in the moment when interacting with my children, my husband, and my clients, or even my friends. Thank you for tuning in today. I look forward to your feedback. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's ride. Don't make nobody kill your dreams. Go for your dreams. Don't make nobody kill your dreams. Them can't kill your dreams. Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Tina S. Maker. Am I saying your last name correctly? Yes, you are. Yes. Tina S. Maker, who is a dear friend, also a coach. She'll tell you more about the specifics of the type of coaching she does. But we've known each other now for maybe, what, about a year, Tina? Mm-hmm. And we met through our guys. Yes. Got introduced through them. And we, I feel like we clicked from the first 
moment we mm-hmm. met. Yeah. Well, what it was is, you know, I was, I was meeting you because we had to see if, uh, if you approved of me and we connected right away. And so I got the thumbs up from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, we have, we have certain filters that we, we have been applying to, to, you know, the girls in the group, right? Yeah. <laughs> is, she, is she in? And it, it's very simple, but you know, she, you, you nailed it right away. I love your personality. You are so vibrant. And I feel like every time I see you, I know this is going to sound cheesy, but you're like a breath of fresh air. Mm, thank and you. You're just radiant. And, and this to me is even more relevant because I mean, first of all, you've been like that since the first day I met you, but you've been through some shit mm-hmm. in, in recent times. So can you share with us your story and, and your journey and how you, you know, you, you've been doing some incredible work helping other people based on your own experience. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. So I joke with friends that two years ago, my life fell together. Although Mm -hmm. at first I thought it was falling apart. So I was married for 10 years and my husband and I had a business together for, for the last five years of our marriage. We had an independent publication and it was focused on creatives And my marriage ended unexpectedly. And here I was having to redefine my entire life, you know, my personal relationships, my career, and I I just wasn't sure what was next for me. So I made, I made a plan to transition out of the magazine, which I had served as editor in chief of for, you know, about, about six years actually, because it was started as a passion project and turned into a full-time gig for me. So over the course of the year, while I was going through a divorce from my partner, we worked together as business partners and I transitioned out of the business I co-created with him. I didn't know what was next. I knew I wanted to stay in New York and I did some freelance work to pay the bills for a little while. In the meantime, I was thinking about ways I could combine my love of the creative world and the creative community And also this drive I have to help people because originally I was trained as a social worker. I grew up in Michigan and I worked for a nonprofit for, uh, I believe it was 12 years, but it was, I worked there while I was in school. And then I worked there post graduation in a different role, but the the population I worked with was runaway and homeless youth and their families. So ages 10, all the way up to 24 and then families. And I, and I loved that work, but I also wanted to be creative. And so when you know, when, when I was reevaluating my whole life, going through this divorce, I came upon life coaching. And uh, what happened was I had, you know, I had my divorce to-do list. It was like, hire an attorney, I don't know, find a place to live, (laughs) figure out your budget, all those really basic life things. Right. And then one of the things on the list was look into life coaching because I was trying to redefine my career and figure out what was next. But it was something that felt ambiguous to me. I didn't really know what life coaches did or how you would be trained to be one. And so I just put it off and I put it off for about six to eight months. And then one night I was at a party talking to a friend and he works in the creative industry. And he said to me, you know, I just started working with a life coach and it's been really great so far, but there are some things he doesn't understand about my work in the creative landscape. And that was really an aha moment for me because I had just spent six years interviewing hundreds of creatives for the magazine I ran. And so really I had been researching creatives for six years. And that night I was like, man, I really have to 
I have to look into life coaching because I think there's something here. What if I coach the creative community specifically, because that's the community that I call home. It's the community that I know so much about and that I love. So the next, I think it was the next week I got online. I looked up programs. I found an accelerated training program in, in Atlanta through coach U and because I already had my social work degree, I didn't want to do a lengthy coaching program. I wanted, you know, the, the framework and the tools and the knowledge. And so I, I had, you know, I left my marriage with $4,000. I had no money. I used that money to get an apartment. You know, I'm like 36 and I have a roommate for the first time in my life. It was just such a bizarre period. <laughs> so I, I signed up for the coach you course. I put it on my credit card and I just believed that I was going to be good at it. And I would be able to pay that money back and it would work out. And so a month later, I flew to Atlanta and I did the training and it was life-changing for me. And I came back and opened my practice. And now I've been coaching creatives for about a year and a half. Wow. That's incredible. I, I, something I find fascinating from the stories we've been sharing on the podcast are how things seem to just pop up when you need them to pop up and mm-hmm. a simple conversation can just really ignite or, or nail something for, for you. You know, you have an interest, but you don't know how to grasp it. And then you speak to a friend and then that leads to something. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh my God, there, there yeah. it is. But I commend you for, for taking that brave step of using your pennies, which is really scary. And but you put it into something that you just had the intuition and, and the guts to, you knew it was it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really intuitive. And here's the thing. I, I didn't rush into whatever was next. You know, I did some freelance work, some copywriting and content strategy that paid the bills. And so I really took the pressure off myself to figure out what's my next career move because the magazine had offered me a bit of a platform. So a bit of, you know, a bit of a public life within the creative world, very small world, but still, I think people, you know, I thought people would wonder what is she going to do next? I was wondering what will I do next? And I, I just decided to take all the pressure off myself and give myself space to explore. And that's when I made the connection to coaching. And I was really open to, I think sometimes we can get fixated on how something has to happen. And I wasn't sure how anything in my life was going to happen because before I thought I, I had tried to control things and I thought I had been so sure of how things would happen and, and, you know, wasn't how it turned out at all. So I just tried to be really, really open and I still continue to try to be really open. But I think when you're fresh into a season like that, where life has forced you to pause through circumstances it really does rock your world and you, you see everything in such a new way. And so I think I was just, it was just really fertile ground for me to be open to new things coming into my life. Yeah. It's almost like you have nothing to lose. Because yeah, exactly. You to, I mean, that sounds harsh, but it's the reality is when you hit the bottom, not necessarily in an emotional way, but you got sat on your butt, mm-hmm. you know, life sat you on your butt and you're like, well, what, you know, I'm just going to explore this. And, and it goes back to that concept of following what charms you and following mm-hmm. the things that light you up, as opposed to, I have a plan and this is my life. And in one year and two years and six months and all these things that are so pressurized, there's no room to, to think and to go back to the, the gut feeling and the instinct of doing the things that 
you know, the, the voice is, is not heard because there's too much, there are too many walls around it, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much noise in our everyday lives. And I was taking a lot of time to sit with myself, meditate, a lot of journaling. I didn't, it's so funny. I Journaling is a huge act of self-care for me. And I know that if I'm journaling, I'm probably okay because it means I'm processing things and I'm accepting reality. And, for, you know, for the last, oh, at least three years of my marriage, I did not journal at all. But literally a week before my marriage ended, which, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen. I started journaling again and I even wrote in my journal, like, oh man, it's been a long time. I really, I really need this. And so it was almost like intuitively something said, pick up the pen and start writing again. And then a week later, you know, my journal entry is like, holy shit. <laughs> wow. I love that. The, the fact that you consider journaling an act of self-care, that's a tool that I use a lot with my clients. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, the, it's, it's really the only way of getting stuff out of your head, apart from conversation, but conversation, you kind of need somebody else unless you're mm -hmm. talking to yourself out loud, <laughs> <laughs> which may work in a pinch if you need to make a statement. But journaling is a very important part of life, mm -hmm. I think. Um, I feel like sometimes people are resistant to it because they feel that journaling has to be perfect or somebody's going to read it. But can you elaborate more about how you, if you would tell somebody that the best way to journal is, what would that be? Yeah. Well, I think the best way to journal is the way that works for you. So I, I use journaling or, you know, just reflective writing a lot with my coaching clients as well. For me, it's about knowing yourself it's really an exercise in spending time with yourself, getting to know yourself, digging into what is inside of you. What are the things you value? What are the things you want to prioritize in your life? How do you feel about the things that are going on in your life, right? Like, how do you feel as you move through your days? So I use journaling as a really a process of recording what's happening in my life. Because in the moment you think, oh, I'll remember that. It was amazing. But you don't remember. And so for me, I can look back at the journal entries I wrote two years ago when my marriage ended. And see the place I was in then and I can look at where I'm now and now and I can see the growth. And so that's helpful for me to, to, to help encourage me to continue to move forward. And then I think a lot about how I feel in during my days, right? So journaling is a way for me to think through emotions and gain some perspective on why I might be feeling that way, like patterns, behaviors, all of that. And then I can come back to it in a more logical way. But you know, when you're feeling something, sometimes it's like, why do I feel this way? How is this connected to, you know, have I felt this way in the past? What, what situations bring this up in me? And so journaling is like, you know, really giving myself time to pause, right? Instead of life making me pause, it's me saying, I'm going to pause and I'm going to spend a little time with myself to try to gain insight on, you know, where I'm at, where I want to be and how I'm feeling about things. Do you, do you ever use prompts or you just free write whatever comes to mind? I usually free write, but you know, it's like, I've been writing my whole life. So for me, it's not, it's not a challenge to sit down and write. It's more just the challenge of making the time. And so I do it, you know, it's for me now I'm in this rhythm where if I go a few days without journaling, I really, I just feel it. I'm like, Ooh, I got to sit down. But with my clients, I do, we work on prompts together, you know, the, you know, it's like depending on what they're working on, because all my work as a coach is tailored to what that specific client wants to achieve in their life. And so mm -hmm. we might work on prompts together 
and then they will, you know, take those and, and go from there. Cause most people do find it hard to just sit down and write. They're like, well, what am I supposed to write about? I, I have no idea. <laughs> it feels awkward at first. It's like when a, you know, if you're a painter and you sit down with a blank canvas, it can feel really intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so, one of the, I remember I used to journal a lot as a child, just mm-hmm. things, Same. kind of like what you're saying, what's in my head, how I'm feeling. I would draw sometimes in the journals. And then that stopped for a long time. And the the way I got back into it a few years ago was I read about morning pages, mm-hmm. which is, I forget her. I always forget her name, but it's the, the, the artist from the artist way. Yep. Um, I, I'll, I'll put her name on the end and the notes because I always disrespect this woman by not <laughs> remembering her name. Is it Julia Cameron or there's two women. There's two uh-huh. books that are similar that I get confused. But anyway, I haven't. Yeah. Cameron yeah yeah Cameron sounds familiar yeah I haven't but read it but I am aware of morning pages a lot of my friends have read it and are uh, a big fan of doing morning pages yeah it, and it's such a simple exercise because what attracted me to that as an entryway was she's like nobody's gonna read this you're not even gonna read this you're mm-hmm. just taking the garbage out so first thing in the morning the second you wake up, you have a pen and paper next to your bed and you're going to try and get out three pages, which seem like so much. You're like yeah. three pages, <laughs> but then you start and you do it. And some days you have half a page and some days you had more, but the, the just the idea that I knew that nobody, even myself may even read it one day took a weight off of it as opposed to having to have beautiful words and decorations and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And for me, that's evolved into journaling around my meditation so it's usually after i meditate i'll if something comes up i'll start writing and it becomes very automatic at Mm -hmm. one point and then you're like okay some stuff makes sense some stuff doesn't make any sense but i think for creative people like you're saying it's really helpful in maybe see just seeing something outside of your head because we have all these ideas in our heads but then when you put it on paper you can see how to action on it yeah 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 Yeah. definitely there's something about the the act of writing things down and getting them out of your head it makes it real it's so much easier to think about an idea in our head right because it's just it's abstract but we have to think through it a little more deeply when we write it out on paper or tell someone too. you know, a lot of my clients will tell me things that they haven't told anyone else, you know, like dreams that they have for themselves or things that they want to do in their career that they're just like, I don't want to verbalize it because I'm scared to, because it makes it real. And I might, I might fail or I might succeed. Yeah. But there's a, that fear, that, that fear of failure where you avoid doing something for that reason is so insane, but we all feel it at one mm-hmm. point until, you know, something happens and you just have to do it. And I think that's the great thing about coaching. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about kind of the specifics of your coaching and, and what kind of situations you help people through. But so part of that is being somebody that people can speak to, because I feel like some, you know, you have friends and you speak to your friends and they'll give you friend advice you may have a partner and they'll give you their point of view but to have somebody that you can connect with have continuity in a conversation accountability and just be able to have make a plan of action with somebody supporting you is so important to me it's almost like the a a thing of of the future 
even though it's something how people used to maybe function before they would go to somebody in their village or in their community and be able to talk about things, but people have become so disconnected from mm-hmm. that. And I, f- I feel like we're either very contained within ourselves or we have a circle of friends that we can speak to, but the idea of having somebody support you during a very specific process is, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I get from clients is that they really love the accountability that I offer and they love that it's a neutral space that they can come to. So, you know, I'm as a coach, whatever my clients want to work on, that's what I support them in. I'm objective in that I don't, I'm not setting the goals for them. I'm not telling them what I think they should do. Like you said, as a a partner or a friend or a parent, right? There's an emotional investment in that person. And even if you try not to be biased, you're going to. So, you know, that said, I will, I will reflect what I'm hearing back to them, right? Like I will hold them to their goals and encourage them toward their goals, but they get to choose, they get to have autonomy. And so it's really empowering them to, to take action toward the things that they want to build in their lives. And it's, it's a really, really cool partnership. It feels sometimes, you know, people come in and you can tell when they're like, they want to, they want to try it and they're there and they're invested, but they're a little doubtful. And then they start taking action and then they come back and they're like, ah, it's magical. It's working. And it's like, of course it's working because you're, you're investing in yourself. You're taking action and you're doing things and you have the capability to do this in every area of your life. And it's really cool to be able to partner with people in this way. Yeah. I I feel like sometimes people just need a boost Mm -hmm. or some like very, the guidance can be very small for lack of a better word. So you may have this big conundrum or this dilemma on how to do something. And all you need is somebody that can kind of help you pivot. And I feel like if it's somebody tapping you on the shoulder and be like, no, let's face this way now. Let's sit down now. Let's run a little bit now. But I would, there's also, I've noticed a link between people that are in this type of service, having worked to some capacity with children. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned you were in social service before. So how do you, how, how is that connection? Because that's another thing that I found so beautiful about our life journeys. And at one point, maybe you're doing a certain type of work in years, decades later, you're doing something connected to it that you did not ever know you were going to do. And maybe at one point you were like, I I don't want to do social services anymore, Mm -hmm. but in a way you are serving your community and your society. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny when I did. So I was, yeah, I had a degree in social work and I did that for a number of years and I was already starting to feel a little burned out when I moved to New York. And that's when I started that's when I focused on growing the magazine mm. full time. And I, I loved that. I love, you know, the magazine to me was creative and social work wasn't creative. What I realize now is that social work is very creative. It's just, it just takes on a different form. You wouldn't look at it and think, Oh, that's a creative profession, but it like it is. And problem solving all the time. I'm, I'm asking questions. I'm getting curious. And so I think that social work was a part of my background that I, I wanted to just like set it off to the side of my life and say, "Mm, I'm not going to, that's not my thing anymore. I want to do this creative work. But then when I decided to go into coaching, it, you know, it really came full circle. It was like, it was like coming back home to a part of myself that I 
for some reason, I just, I thought, no, now I have to live this creative life and social work isn't a part of that. But, you know, there are no rules. (laughs) We can, we can create our lives however we want to. And so I really pulled that piece back into my life, that piece of wanting to have a direct impact and help people in a really tangible way and then do it in a way that is defined on my own terms, right? Like what the work I'm doing now is not in a traditional social work setting. It's not within an agency it's, it's very different than what I did before, but it's really, really, really fulfilling. And I think that because, you know, there's such flexibility, I'm working with the creative community, which I love. It really is taking the best of both worlds. It's taking the best of, you know, my experience as a social worker and the best of my experience running the magazine and putting them together into my coaching practice, which is, it just blows my mind because I had no idea this would happen. And you know, it's like every, every step of the way isn't every step is an act of faith. And you're just like one more step, one more step (laughs) moving toward this thing, not entirely sure what it looks like. Looking back now, I can totally connect the dots. It seems like such a natural path. So I think, you know, when I'm working with clients, they're like, well, what's, what's the right decision for me? What, what's the right thing to do? And it's like, well, there, there is no right or wrong. It's what do you want for the next season And, and make a decision see how it turns out, gather more information, and then you can make another decision. And that's how we piece our lives together, not by seeing the whole picture or controlling it or knowing how it's going to happen, but by just taking these small steps of faith every day. And some are bigger steps than others. I love that. That is so beautiful because it's, it is totally about taking that focus away from the end goal, from the financial or the, the award or the exposure and placing it into being mindful of every moment Mm -hmm. you know I'm curious to know your point of view from you know you were in a relationship that ended a certain way then you were on your own and now you're back in a Mm -hmm. loving relationship in terms of being supported in doing what you're doing do you feel that had an effect or has an effect on you when you feel like you're either you know, you're in a relationship, but you're, you're not being supported. Then you're supported by yourself. And then you have somebody else that also holds space for you. How do you see the comparison between those stages? I think we're all here to do very specific work, right? We each have work that's going to add value to the world that we're going to do. And I think that in order to realize that we can't do it alone. I think we need, you know, mentors, friends, coaches. We need people on our team. And one of the biggest people that can be on your team is your partner, right? Because you're spending so much time with them and you're investing in each other in such a huge way. And I've had experiences where I haven't felt supported by a partner. You know, there's not emotional availability or I feel like I'm offering a lot more support than I'm receiving in return. So you know, I think that ultimately we have to, I had to learn that, you know, no one is my project. I can't fix anyone. I can't control anyone, uh, no matter how much I want to, or how hard I'm willing to work. I can't, what I can do is fix my own damn life <laughs> and figure out my own shit and not repeat past toxic patterns. And I can choose people who have healthy boundaries, who are emotionally available, who support me and the work that I'm doing. And so 
it is amazing to, there's just, just, there's a sense of ease and freedom when you're with someone and you feel supported and you know that they're available, right? When you're building a business is really hard. You know, there's the financial aspect you're investing, you know, here, it's not like I had someone say, Oh, let me give you money to start a coaching business. You know, you're building up clients and some months you're like, Oh, I just booked a a lot of clients. Great. Other months it's like, Oh, I'm speaking or I'm teaching a class. And like, there's so many moving parts and it's, like any any entrepreneur knows, it can be an emotional roller coaster. So yeah. knowing that when you're having a good day, your partner's gonna celebrate with you and high five you, you know, for those new clients. When you're having a tough day, they're gonna listen and support you as well. And so it's just it it feels like, you know, I have this like solid rock. <laughs> just like just unmovable. Like if if I need support, I can I can first ask for it. Right. And, and I'm going to get it. And there's no fear that there's no fear of, I'm not going to be supported or I can't do this work because there's pressure for me to do something else or be something else. I feel like I just get to be me and build my coaching practice and speak and write and do the work that I'm here to do. And that feels amazing. So not to say, you know, I could, couldn't have done it before, but I think I was it's hard when you're in a partnership where there things, you know, get unhealthy or toxic and then the patterns just repeat. And it's, and it's hard to, it's almost easier to for it to end than to try to establish new patterns. Right. So yeah, I hope, I don't know if that answered your question. No, it, it definitely did because you, again, I think you speak in such a beautiful way always, but you know, saying that a being able to ask for help or yeah. ask for feedback or ask in general, sometimes is not available in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a person you're with is just not emotionally capable of giving you exactly that. So you shut yourself down. So you don't, you, you know, these patterns start being created where you just don't ask for help and you try to become very self-sufficient. And then you get kind of locked into this space where you're sharing your life with somebody, but you're not really sharing your life with somebody. You're sharing a a living space or you're sharing this quote unquote marriage or relationship. But the real substance to me is when you have somebody that can provide what you would provide yourself. Mm -hmm. You, You speak to yourself. You nurture yourself you hold yourself both accountable in in accountability and in an emotional way and but it gets tough if you're on your own fine I got me and I'm doing this for myself but when you're sharing your life with somebody and you're the only one that has to continuously light your own fire Mm -hmm. it's really deflating actually and it's almost like your fire starts burning out Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an interesting way to put it. And I've definitely felt all of that, you know, and not to say like, of course, you know, what I had to do, which was really hard is look at my own responsibility in getting me to that point, getting us to that point, right. How to make marriage end up here. Well, I, I have some responsibility in it too. What I can say is that it currently, it feels like an expansion. I think when you're with a partner who supports you and is available and really believes in you, right. You, you feel, you know, not that you can't do it alone. Of course you can, but it feels, I feel like I could do anything. 
And I feel like my, my whole world has been expanded in a really beautiful way. And that, that feels new to me. That makes me want to cry. Because <laughs> I know I love you and you know, I love your dude. <laughs> like I have shed tears for you guys. My husband was like one day when, when we were in Iceland, I started crying. He said, why are you crying? I'm like, they're just so happy. And I'm so happy to see him so happy. <laughs> because it's palpable. Yeah. The love you guys have created for each other is palpable, but I can see how it could have been a little scary for you to step into that. Oh yeah. It was so scary. So scary. We had a lot of conversations about that and you know, I had, I had moments in time where I was really like, I just don't think I can do this. And he's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I just, you know, I've been, I've been journaling a lot and thinking, and I'm just, you know, I'm scared. Like, it's so scary to, uh, you know, a friend said to me, I think it's a miracle that you were able to keep your heart open after being hurt like you were. And I agree because it's such an act of vulnerability. I mean, it still is, you know, it's not, there's, I think what I've learned is that, you know, nothing is permanent and there's, like we, we always chase after a sense of security and safety, but you know, like in a partnership with someone like you're, you're entrusting yeah. your heart to them. Right. And knowing that intentionally or unintentionally, they could, they could wound you. But if you don't open up, you also don't get to experience the amazing things, right. The things we all want, like mm-hmm. the love and the support and all the good stuff. I think something you said is so important where you took accountability of your responsibility mm-hmm. in your relationship. And then you, you carry that habit forward. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we go, you know, it's very easy to blame. It's very easy to point the finger. It's very easy to say, How, why me? And, and, and be, you know, victimize oneself unconsciously. It's not, it's not a conscious decision. I'm going to be a victim, but it's like, when thing, when major things happen to us, the first question in my mind for me is why me? Yep. Why is this happening to me? And you can go on like that for a long time until you decide to look in the mirror and just see what part you had to do. You know, what was your part in, in the outcome of that? Even though you weren't the, the, you know, the, the nail in the coffin, mm-hmm. let's say, but we all have responsibilities in every relationship we have in our lives at work with our children, with our partners. I think that's really, you know, for whoever's listening today to, to make sure that that sticks almost because we all are responsible for how things turn out and it's easier and better and healthier to just go into any work on or any relationship knowing, Hey, I'm playing a part in this too. So how am I going to handle myself and handle this person? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're building something together and I, yeah, there are so many things I would do differently. Right. Which I can't, I can't go back and change things, but I can do different things differently now. And so, yeah, that was a big lesson for me. And it was a hard lesson because you want to say, why me? I didn't, make this final decision. I didn't ask to be treated this way, but you know, I was listening to a podcast recently. I can't remember which show it was, but they were talking about resilience and they defined resilience as an acceptance of reality and that people who are resilient are people who accept, okay, this is actually happening. 
and some of it I can't control. Other things are within my control. What am I going to do about it? And I thought that was such a simple and beautiful definition because I think we can get stuck in our own denial, like Mm -hmm. either our denial that what's happening is happening or our denial that we have any responsibility in it. And I think we need to accept both of those Mm -hmm. in order to move forward. Yeah. I I love that. I was reading, I get this newsletter called words of women Mm -hmm. and she has an Instagram also, which is amazing. And it's, you know, a lot of uh, quotes from all women's from all walks, walks of life, usually writers or artists. And every Monday she has this new newsletter. It's amazing. And this Monday she was outlining stoicism, Mm -hmm. which is a philosophy on how to live life the same way that's, you know, Jungian and Freudian and all these different ways of seeing things. But in a nutshell, it was imagine you're in a situation and you're so afraid of what's going to happen, the outcome of what's going to happen that you're just stressing out, you're freaking out, you can't get a a handle on yourself. In this particular type of philosophy, you just imagine that the worst that could happen is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And you accept that. And then you become proactive about troubleshooting and managing that outcome that may not even happen. Yeah. And you just, you know, like you're saying, it's like, okay, it's the reality and I'm going to go through it. It's yeah. a moment you decide. And and I guess that's, you know, it kind of relates back to what you're saying in terms of a definition of resilience is, this is my truth and I'm going to survive it. Mm-hmm. Tina, I would love for you to share with us a little bit more of what other self-care techniques you, or, or things you practice apart from your wonderful journaling. <laughs> you sure. I mean, mine are really, mine are really straightforward. I, when I was going through my divorce, I joined a gym for the first time in my life. So <laughs> I work out, <laughs> which is hilarious that it took me that long. I mean, I would work out at home before, but now I, I go to the gym, but I go to the gym, like, I don't know, three times a week is my goal. Sometimes I go less, sometimes I go more. It just, it depends on the week, but I schedule it into my calendar with Google has a function called goals, which you can use on your phone and it will, you can say, I want to do this thing this many times a week and it will just schedule it in where you have open time. Yeah. And it's about that. Yes. And it, and it's a good prompt. So you can schedule the goals on your mobile, but you can't, you can see them on your calendar in browser, but you can't edit them, I believe. So I schedule in like for a while I was, I was trying to establish new habits and routines. So I would schedule those things in as prompts. So gym three times a week journaling, you know, as often like I mean, multiple times a week, a huge act of self-care for me, which I neglected for so long as I actually call my girlfriends or guy friends on the phone. You know, a lot of my friends live in New York, but I still have some friends back home in Michigan where I'm from. And we don't get to see each other as much as we'd like. And even my friends in New York, sometimes, you know, life and work get really busy. And so we'll text each other and say, Hey, let's get a phone date on the calendar. And that has been incredible for me because when I went through my divorce, I, I was really, really isolated and closed off. And I just knew I, I was like, Tina, if you don't reach out to people, this is going to get really ugly. You have to ask for help and ask for support. And I did. And I've continued to be really open and vulnerable with my friends. And in turn, they've opened up to me about things. And our relationships are so much richer because of it. It's been awesome. So yeah, talking to friends, journaling, exercise, 
I quit drinking coffee, you know, this is probably, this was more than two years ago, but I drink green tea every morning and sometimes in the afternoon as well. And I love it. Let's see. I think those are the main ones. I, I like to keep it simple because if, if I, if it, if it feels overwhelming, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, nurturing my body, my mind, my soul, you know, whatever. Like I try to do something for the different areas of my life every week. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love even that you said that you schedule those things in because that to me is self-care. Mm-hmm. When you actually put it in your calendar, which means it has a place, it has a priority. Yeah. Same as if you have a client call, the same as if you are meeting somebody, the same way that you have to grocery shop or <laughs> else, all the things that take priority before that. So that's, that's I'm very happy you mentioned, yeah. uh, mentioned that. Yeah. I mean, I work with my clients on this a lot, just how do we prioritize ourselves and our own self-care when we're so busy and, you know, we all have the same amount of time in the day, right? Some of us have help that we can delegate tasks to some of us don't, but it's just so important to prioritize your self-care and put it on your calendar just as you would anything for work. And it sounds like, Oh, that's so simple, but it really works. It really works. And most people don't do it. I, I had to learn to do that. I had everything else on my calendar except for myself, or if I would put myself in there, it will, it will be the first thing that could come out. Yep. Exactly. Oh, you have, I No, I can switch this here. I can, and you know, put everybody else. Yeah. So lastly, if anybody would want to work with you, can you briefly just state again, you coach creatives, what services you provide and how people can find you? Yeah. So you can find me online on social media. I'm at Tina S maker. My website is Tina S maker.com. I have a lot of info on my site about what I do as a coach, but I work one-on-one with clients. I also teach groups, teams, classes, and you can look at my site, shoot me an email. Hello at Tina S maker.com. And we can talk details. Like I said, my coaching is tailored for each client in terms of what we address, but I have a couple different offerings that I can share that are on my site. But also if you want to email me, I can give you more detail on those. Okay. And anybody, I highly recommend meeting you, talking to you. You are just like this box of wisdom. I feel like <laughs> you're, so, you're so beautiful and bright and I don't know. Like I could be talking to you for hours. (laughs) (laughs) I know. No, I really enjoy talking with you too. It's like, there's such overlap in the work we're doing, the things we care about, the themes that we, you know, think about a lot in our lives. So it's it's always good to connect with people of, you know, like minds. And also we get to be friends. So that's cool. (laughs) Really cool. (laughs) So Tina, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your time and your story with us. And I'm sure so many people are going to be inspired by what you share today. Happy to. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please visit my website, paolaatlason.live. And you can also find us on Instagram at paola.atlason. Sending you so much love and thank you.